Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. Back ain't better than ever. Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance. Delighted you're with us on a football Friday with plenty of baseball mixed in. Unimaginable finishes. All the best baseball teams are out, and last night was a disaster of epic proportion in Kansas City. We start there. Let's roll. Here we go. Only one place to start. All right, the one place to start this morning is in KC football last night. Taylor Swift in attendance. Russell Wilson and Sean Payton, maybe not as much. I think that's the most interesting piece of last night. Chiefs, they win. They look unspectacular. The whole world would love to have their problems. They're 5-1 they're and one and haven't looked great doing it. They're, they're Everyone fine. will take that. Graziano and Tannenbaum are here. Let's dive into the other side. Mike T, I'm remembering... I want to say two weeks before the season began, I asked you for a bold prediction. And you said, Sean Payton is going to bench Russell Wilson the first chance he gets because he wants to send a message to everyone that he's beholden to no one and he's the new sheriff in town and whatever else comes after that. This feels like that chance if he wants to do it. What do you expect to happen as we go forward here in Denver? It's becoming... Pretty apparent to me, Russell Wilson's just not playing good enough football. We talked about it for the last couple of hours, guys. He just isn't seeing the field well. Sean Payne will tell you that my offense has the answers to it, and we saw that against the Jet game where he ended the game with a fumble. He's hot to the back, doesn't throw it to the back. Bart did a great job breaking down that first interception last night. Back is wide open in the flat. So I think at some point this decision is going to become easier. And look, if he benches Russell Wilson, if and when that happens – the rest of the team, the sense of urgency will increase dramatically. So if anyone has been watching our TV show this morning, we first off, we thank you. Second of all, Graziano, they would know that I've been trying really hard for two hours to get to the bottom of what I guess is really this question. And, and it's nuanced enough that it's probably a better question for a, a radio show like this where we have the time to dive into it. How much blame does Sean Payton deserve for this? Well, I mean, look, it was supposed to be better organized. It was supposed to look better on offense uh, it, it has been, at best, inconsistent and unspectacular on offense. The defense has been a disaster. Uh, you know, he, he's obviously the head coach. He's, he's in charge of who runs the defense and, and who the personnel are. But, uh, you know, I, I think I, – I, how much does he deserve? I mean, I think, I think more than probably he's getting. I think a lot of the blame seems to be focused on Russell Wilson. And, and uh, fair enough, he makes a lot of money. But, but yeah, I think Sean Payton – that I think there was a, a reasonable expectation that it would go better than this. And so what will happen now, to Mike T's point, is he'll probably get license to rearrange things. You already see moving on from Randy Gregory, moving on from Frank Clark, who he brought in, by the way. He didn't inherit Frank Clark. So uh, I think you'll see more. I think you'll see more activity like that where Sean Payton starts to move away from the guys he doesn't think fit long-term and start to bring in guys that he thinks – in the offseason, he'll bring in guys that he thinks who might that be? Do fit. Just for fans of every team who mean? might be listening right now. Well, in the next 18 that he, days, that he would who move on from? Trade? Yeah, who, who so could be available? Some, there are some veteran pieces with some contracts that I think that that you could you know you could see people calling on. I would say probably one of the wide receivers, be it Jerry Judy or Cortland Sutton. I doubt they move both. Uh, I think Garrett Bowles on the offensive line would be somebody that would interest teams. I think Justin Simmons and Josie Jewell, the safety and the linebacker uh, on defense. I'm not saying all these guys are gone, but they're the kind of guys that I think the Broncos would at least listen on, and, and they're also the kind of players that teams will call on 
if um, if they find out that the Broncos are in fire sale mode. I don't think I think the one guy that they see as kind of untouchable is Patrick Sertan, the corner. I think they see him as a building block piece. And obviously, I don't think anyone's kind of going to come take Russell Wilson's contract off their hands. Yeah, and Patrick Sertan would be the one everyone would want. I tell you what, just as a quick aside, Garrett Bowles would look great in a Jet uniform. They could desperately use him right now. But I'll get back to the conversation at hand because it does beget the next question. Wither Russell Wilson. What happens to him? This is a guy who two years ago was on a... a, a Trained to the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. I mean, might as well have just written Canton next to his name. He gets traded there for a King's Ransom and then some. And all the stories are, can Russell Wilson lead the Broncos to a Super Bowl? Now, all of a sudden, let's live in a world where at some point this season, Mike T, he gets benched. They're playing Jarrett Stidham, just seeing what he's got or whatever it is. Wilson still has a bunch of money left on his contract. Are, are we living in a world where Russell Wilson is not anyone's starting quarterback week one of next year. I don't believe he will be. And I'll tell you what, there's a great axiom that applies here. The most underrated aspect of team building is correctly evaluating your own and give Pete Carroll and John Schneider all the credit in the world. They saw it every day in practice. They got, they maximized his value, trade somebody too soon rather than too late. And the rest is history. He's a diminished player. He's just not the same guy. He lost weight, looked like he could move around a little bit better. He's not playing good. And then Green, as we talked about on the TV show, when you look at guys like Andy Dalton, Blaine Gabbert, Gardner Minshew, they fit that role of being the 33rd to 40th best quarterback on the planet and very comfortable in that role. I don't think that's Russell Wilson, and I don't think a team's going to want to bring that element into their locker room. Hmm. So what does that mean? I mean, what then what happens? To Russell? Yeah. Well, I mean, look, it, it, we're, we're projecting a lot here, right? We're projecting to get to the end of the year, and they decide to move on. And, you know, how many teams are looking for quarterbacks? How many want to try a veteran? You know, I, I, we, we do see guys like, like this that have accomplished what he's accomplished, you know, get second, third chances. So I would not be completely shocked if the Broncos do move on to see a team – that maybe didn't have its plan A or plan B at quarterback come together, take a shot that maybe you can still get something out of Russell Wilson. It's about price, right? Like you'd probably need, if the Broncos are trading him, you probably need them to pick up some of the money or you'd need Russell to agree to adjust it the way like Aaron Rodgers did with the Jets. So it really, again, we're, we're, this is months from now right. and, we're, and we're assuming a lot, we're projecting a lot. I, I think you could get to a point where if Russell wants to continue his career elsewhere, and someone's amenable to that, then the right levers could be pulled to make it happen. All right, Greeny, Graziano, Tannenbaum in studio with us. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Save when you bundle motorcycle, RV, and boat insurance. Visit Progressive.com. Mike Tannenbaum, you know me well enough to know I'm fascinated by Bill Belichick. I just find him to be a fascinating person. You know him well. I do not. I, I think I've met him in my life like three times. Uh, um, he did the show, the old show, maybe two or three times, whatever. You know him well, and we kid around all the time, but you have saunaed with the man. Um, and, you know, and you worked together for years in, in two different places, right? So, so you know him well. Um, I never thought we'd get to this. I really did not. I, I did not. The, the, the degree to which the Patriots have cratered stuns me. And it has begotten a lot of conversation on this show about how does it end? What does the end for Belichick in New England look like? What do you think? So, first of all, Bob Kraft is a very shrewd businessman. He will do what is in the best interest of that franchise. And I think when you start looking ahead, to me, the way the deck chairs could align is something like this, guys. 
Bill Belichick grew up in the Bethesda, Maryland area. His dad was part of the Navy football program, program for like 46 years. That is home to him. And if I'm Josh Harris and I need a new stadium and I need a total transcendent reboot of my franchise, why not get the winningest coach in the history of our game in Bill Belichick? Stabilize the team on the field, making president of football operations, ironically, much the way Joe Gibbs was for a couple of years with Washington. Maybe I hire my son to be the heir apparent. And now if I'm Josh Harris, I go out there and I build my stadium and I begin and end every sentence with, oh, did I mention Bill Belichick runs our football program? If I'm Bob Kraft, I know that. I am not firing Bill Belichick. I am saying, hey, Bill, if you think there's a better opportunity out there for you, I will listen. I am not firing you. What do you think, Danny? I think Tannenbaum just fired Belichick and Ron Rivera in the same uh, in the same answer. That's pretty good. Look, I I think um, I do think there's a there's a scenario if it doesn't improve in New England and quickly uh, that we get to the end of the year and and they move in a different direction at head coach. I do I don't I think that's on the table. I think it's more realistic than it's ever been, uh, and that's really just based on. You know, not just the circumstances, but conversations I've had around that situation, some people there, et cetera. So, yeah, would he want to coach again? Probably, right? Like he has that Don Shula record in his sights. I think that that's – and would um, would a team take that on? And I think you you draw up an interesting scenario there with Washington and, and new ownership. So uh, I think it's all realistic. I, I think what happens in New England the rest of the way will determine a lot. I think if they can salvage something out of the quarterback, make something out of their season, they're at rock. They have to be at rock bottom, right? Like this, ha- no NFL team should lose by thirty-five and thirty-four points on consecutive weeks. Like that's that's ridiculous. And so I, I, they have to get better from here. The question is: Is there a path? Is this Patriots team good enough to get to a point where they salvage a season to some extent and and create a situation where they do continue with Belichick next year? I, at this point, you'd probably have to bet the other way. And, like, if this is 1A green, the other part of the 1B is Mac Jones. Like, Mac Jones has played oh. good football in the NFL. Like, he led his team to the playoffs as a rookie. Like, that happened. Like, and that was only two years ago. I mean, we joke, as Graz said, like, life comes at you fast with Russell Wilson. But two years ago, Mac Jones was a rising, bonafide, starting NFL quarterback. That feels like light years ago. I promise you, Bill Belichick is saying to his team, if we lose to the Raiders, they're going to beat us. Like, we will not throw a pick six this week. You know, and you, you got to prevent losing before you start winning. I mean, they're doing all the things that Bill Belichick teams never do. Like, the special teams, abominably bad on special teams. I mean, you, I mean, you know Bill Belichick for years. Like, that's, that's completely anathema to everything he stands for, right? Yeah, Bill, Bill Belichick... It's come out publicly and said, I am really proud of coaching the greatest offensive player of all time in Tom Brady, the greatest defensive player of all time in Lawrence Taylor, and the greatest special teams player of all time in Matthew Slater. He huh. was very proud of that. And you're right. Like, he believes firmly, like, those hitting yardage is a big reason no why question. you win games. Now, I'm not saying it make up 35 points, but but there's no – I mean, it's just, it's just another log on the fire in terms of how bad things have gotten. And, and look – it's all Belichick, right? Like, he is in charge of building this roster, which is an insufficient roster right now. We can focus on the quarterback, and I think there's a pretty good chance they move on and try something else at quarterback next offseason, whether Belichick's back or not. But the fact is the roster needs major repair in a lot of areas, and I don't think that's something that can happen overnight. No, I, and, and look, the beginning – the way we look at Bill, because of his success, he's earned it, yeah. is that when he makes – uncharacteristic decisions, that's not the word I'm looking for, unconventional 
decisions, we always say, well, in Bill, we trust. It has to make sense. But if you want to really find the downfall of this scenario, the move he made last year, which has got to be one of the most arrogant moves in NFL history, when Josh McDaniels, the offensive coordinator, after the good rookie season Mac Jones had, leaves to go coach the Raiders, and Bill says, you know what? I don't even need to replace him. I can just put Joe Judge and Matt Patricia in there, and everything will be fine, and I'll just handle it. If you really want to trace where everything started to go completely wrong, I think it's that. Yeah, and I think that's it's, it, it may be arrogance. It also may be sort of paranoia. I remember Scott Pioli telling me one time that like one of Belichick's philosophies on assistant coaches is you need to have a core group of like what six that you really completely trust. And I think that's why Bill didn't want to go outside the organization for an offensive coordinator last year, right? Like he wanted to give it to guys that coaches that he developed and he believed in, even though they hadn't coached offense. And so, I mean, yeah, it, it seems to have wrecked Mac Jones. And I, I mean, look, it, it wasn't fair to Matt Patricia and Joe Judge to put them in that position. It wasn't fair to Mac Jones to put them in that position. And it was a, it was a mistake. This is not a second guess. We criticized this decision at the time it was made. Yeah, and look, I'm a byproduct of the statement, but Bill just believes in I'm going to develop people. You know, Thomas Dimitrov was yeah. literally the groundskeeper. I drove people to the airport, and <laughs> like, there's like 50 of us, right? And yeah, he didn't go out and go get a Brian Schottenheimer or, you know, offensive coordinator du jour. He just believed in his system and we're going to do it my way. And I think it's that. Unquestionably, I agree with that. But if that's 1A, 1B to me is the offensive line because it's not good enough. It's not deep enough. And to me, like, and he said it after the game when he was talking about Mac Jones. And I thought this gave a little insight. He goes, we couldn't control the game. And that, that's yeah. really one of his big principles is, like, we're going to find a way to control the game. And, and, yeah, obviously it was Tom Brady, but that offensive line for, like, a decade was rock solid. Mm-hmm. They've made a lot of mistakes there. It's hard to believe. All right, there's a million different ways you can catch up with us whenever you want. You can listen to the show on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Both hours of our show are available as a podcast. It's called Hashtag Greeny. It's available anywhere you get your podcast. You can also watch us on the ESPN app. Click on Watch. Look for Hashtag Greeny and enjoy. Always a pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you. The offices of Graziano and Tannenbaum are now temporarily closed. Well, it's a weekend. The question next is, do we change the system? And the answer is yes. We'll explain next. This is Greeny on ESPN Radio. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Greeny today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Greeny, G-R-E-E-N-Y. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. 
Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Greeny, the podcast. Ball game, and the Phillies have won the series. The Philadelphia Phillies, for the second straight year, have eliminated the Atlanta Braves, and they're moving on to the National League Championship Series. The celebration continues amongst the hashtag crew, hashtag Hembo and hashtag Cam, both sons of the city of Philadelphia, celebrating the Phils' huge win over the Braves. Three home runs, three bat flips last night. Oh, I see Cam in a Phillies jersey today. Hashtag Bubba's with us as well. Delighted you're with us on ESPN, or with Greeny here on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Okay, so there's a lot to say about that. We'll start with a little baseball action for you here. And Bubba, you tell me if you agree with this. Hembo was the luckiest man in the world that his team backed him up last night. Last year, with his team up two games to one in the World Series, Hembo declared it over. The Astros are dead. They're done. They're finished. He gave the Phillies the World Series. From that point forward, I don't think they scored another run. Do I have that right? Did they score a they, run? The they got the no week? hit, and then they scored two runs in uh, game five, and I think two in game six. So, so it, The no hit is just unbelievable. Yeah, immediately no hit. no hit. Yesterday, with Spencer Strider striding to the mound for the Braves, and the, the fans getting ready to lose their minds as they do in Philadelphia better than any other baseball stadium I can think of. Hembo was so cocky, so confident yesterday, that as I said, I, while I'm rooting for the Phillies in the series, I wanted to see them lose that game just so Hembo would have to eat it. That said, it didn't happen. Take us through it. Three home runs last night. All the bat flips. What did you see? I mean, Philadelphia is electric right now. Philly will very likely always be an Eagles first town. But, but Cam, my, my Philly brethren, when, when our baseball team is good, it is as good a baseball town as there is in America. You can't, you can't watch these games in that place without feeling some kind of emotion. It's a freaking party in there. They're having a massive difference in what happens in the game. Yesterday happened to be Nick Castellanos, who for the second straight game, hit multiple home runs, something that has never been done. And the Phillies shut down a, uh, an Atlanta Braves offense that scored 947 runs and hit 307 homers during the regular season. For the second straight year, we extinguished that flame. I mean, it's comparable to the, with, you know, the Eagles knocking out the Cowboys in the playoffs. Like, that's the level of satisfaction that the last couple of years have provided me. There, has, there have been scant few times in my life where it's been a greater time to be a fan of the Philadelphia team. Talk to me, Cameron. Yeah, it's cool to see the environment being appreciated by other people around sports as well, especially since the, the Phillies, you know, people forget. They, they just went through like an 11-year stretch where they didn't go to the playoffs. So this city was so ready to have playoff baseball back, and they show it every single 
single game. So it is cool. Like Philly always gets a bad reputation for being a tough place to go to for opposing fans and players. It still is, obviously. But I see a lot of people on social media appreciating just how cool it looks to go to a game there. Whether you're a Phillies fan or not, I'm sure it's a lot better if you are one. But just the atmosphere in general is being appreciated, which I like. No, I, I think it's great. I, I think it, this, as I said yesterday, their pitching has been unbelievable. Harper's been unbelievable. Castellanos has been historical. But the reality is the star has been the ballpark. The ballpark was the star of that series. And frankly, they should have won all three. Uh, excuse me, now I guess it turned out to four. They should have won all four games. They had game two won every conceivable way. And the fact that they bounced back and still won anyway is, I think, a testament to a lot of things. So, But it does beget two questions for me. There are two things, and Bubba, this is where I'll turn to you. Do you want to go with the big picture or the small picture first? I have two questions that emerge from that series. you want to go big or small first? I think let's go big picture. Big picture first. We now reach Major League Baseball's Final Four, and it does not include any of the five best teams in Major League Baseball's regular season. The top five teams in baseball this year, the Dodgers, Braves, Orioles, Rays, and Brewers, combined to go 1-13 and in the playoffs. It is the first time ever that none of the top five teams in baseball made it as far as the LCS. The remaining four teams won a combined 354 games this regular season. The four teams they eliminated won 392. So it is going to beget a question about the system. It's going to say, and we touched on this yesterday, but now it really feels, now that it is official, now that it's over, now that our final four is the Diamondbacks and the Phillies and the Rangers and the Astros, the question is going to be, Are we giving enough of an advantage to the teams that have the huge regular seasons? Are we, in fact, putting them at a disadvantage by forcing them to sit for essentially a week before they start their postseason and the other teams? I get that we're trying to make this an advantage because the other teams have to throw their starters, but in a day and age where starters don't go any more than five innings anyway, that advantage has been disrupted. Are we living in a world where maybe we need to consider a change? So the Rob Manfred sound that I see here, There is no soundbite, right? I'm just reading the quote? Correct. It's just a quote. So Manfred was asked about it, and he said of the playoff format, quote, it's only year two. I'm sort of of the view you need to give something a chance to work out. I know some of the higher-seeded teams didn't win. I think if you think about where some of those teams were, there are other explanations than a five-day layoff. But I think we'll reevaluate in the offseason like we always do and think about if we have the format right. That's a good answer. What do you think, Hembo? Again, someone who loves baseball more than anyone I know loves anything, do they have the format right? Yes. Or at least that's not the first place that we should go. And I'll tell you why. Because we have 120 years of data that say this is just baseball. Here's what I did. I'm going to bring data to, to the discussion here, not emotion. I asked the Elias Sports Bureau, what percentage of time does the team with the better record win? So in baseball and hockey... And in basketball, it's series, of course, and in football, it's games. In the postseason, here are the answers. In the NBA, the better team wins. The team with the better record wins 75% of the time. Of each individual game or the series? Series. The series. 75% for the NBA. For the NFL, it's 66. 66 for the NFL. For the NHL, it's 64. 64 for the hockey. And since 1903... 120 years of baseball history, the team with the better record wins the postseason series 54% of the time. In baseball. In baseball. In other words, 
you're just complaining about baseball. You're complaining about the nature of baseball. You're complaining about the randomness of baseball, the chance of baseball. It's a game. Sometimes in the game, the team with the worst record wins. It happens to be the case in baseball uh, a lot more disproportionately than all the other sports. Mm -mm. What I'm saying is that this is not new. This has been going on since the beginning of time. And Mm -mm. if we elect to complain about it, we are missing the forest through the trees. No, In, in this case, I actually don't agree. Because So you said 1903? 1903. So for the first 66 years of that, that statistic only applied to two teams. Mm-hmm. It applied to the American League champion and the National League champion. Since that time, they have continued to expand and continue to expand. It's one thing if 54% of the time, or let me rephrase the turn it around, if 46% of the time, the second best team wins. What you're telling me is the eighth best team is now winning in baseball at a disproportionate clip. You don't get that in the other sports. Those numbers are meaningful. 75% in the NBA, 54% in baseball. Now, some may say, no, Greeny, this is a good thing. The randomness of the postseason, the, cha- the fact that everyone really does have a chance. That makes it all more, it makes it all the more exciting. It makes it better. Maybe that's right. I'm not going to sit here and tell you you're wrong or you're not entitled to think that. What I will say is the, the baseball's history was not about that, right? You, I mean, I, I know I'm not telling Hembo anything he doesn't know. But 69 was the first year they expanded the playoffs at all. That became four teams. How long has it been? It's only been about 20 years that we've had more than four teams in the playoffs, right? Yeah, the wild card era dates to 1995. So, when, so that's 18 years. Uh, uh, 95. No, no, sorry. It's 28 years. But, but anyway, the point is, college football right now, it's four teams. No one has an issue if the fourth best team wins the championship. If they expand this thing to 12 teams and suddenly the 12th best team wins the championship, there are going to be people saying, hmm, I don't know if this was such a good idea. That, I think, is a better comparison to this. Maybe so, but the single favorite thing in this whole country from a sports uh, standpoint is the NCAA tournament is March Madness and we celebrate the Cinderella there but that's because we don't really care oh I think we care only the fans of Duke or Kentucky or Kansas care if Duke or Kentucky or Kansas wins everyone else is just following their bracket so like oh I had that on my sheet I didn't have it on my sheet half the country is rooting for and half the country is rooting against almost every game that matters and then what happens if we get to the final four and the big teams aren't there Mm -hmm. fewer people watch that's true ratings go down the interest is down even so I think people still live to crush baseball whenever they can for just because it's baseball I'm not crushing I'm asking sure fair enough but when the 13 win Packers and Aaron Rodgers, you know, choke at home against the 49ers in the playoffs. It's he choked. And when the 64-win Suns blow it against the Mavericks, it's Chris Paul can't get over the hump. But when this happens in baseball, it's the format's the problem. We have to apply the same logic across the board. I think the point is now, in, in those ways, the format was normal. In this way, the, if when you get the number one seed, you literally are essentially penalized and you're sitting at home for five days, and that's what people are concerned about or worrying. Yeah, when the Suns are the number one seed and they lose, they finish the regular season, and then they immediately play, and they're playing at home just like they did all regular season, and they lost. That's a huge disappointment. When the t- number one seed loses in the NBA, that happens. Or, you know, when Aaron Rodgers, they, you know, they, they play right away and then they offer one week, whatever. That's normal. To miss five days or six days, whatever it is in baseball, that's that's not normal. And that I think that that's to me is all their people are concerned about is just there's not like we talked about yesterday, the incentive to get the top seed is is what anymore? Is 
It's just not. Hembo, they were one and thirteen. I mean, these teams were one and thirteen. If they all lost in best of, you know, in a fifth game, that would be one thing. But none of them won. I mean, that one, I assume, is the Braves' one win against the Phillies, right? That's right. That's it. That's the only game these top five teams won. Bubba, I have no issue at all if we want to have a good faith conversation about whether or not the rest is actually a liability. Because you play 162 games in 184 days. And then you sit for five days. To me, like, that is... Definitely a thing because it's out right. of nature. It's out of character. In football, it's obviously an asset. In basketball, we it's obviously that. an I thought asset. That's the good faith, I thought that's the good faith conversation we were actually just having. No, what I'm, what I'm saying is that we just live to crush baseball. And what I did was bring the data and say that that has been happening for as long as we've been playing uh, postseason games. I'm fine if we want to have the conversation. But the, but the disadvantage slash advantage that are, is now built into the format didn't exist until last year. But the Astros won 106 games last year and won the World Series. We are, select, we are using selective outrage. Last year was the Yankees and the Astros and the ALCS, and no one cares about the format there. It's a thing we do in baseball and nowhere else. I don't even necessarily disagree with you that, that, that the layoff is a liability for teams because it's not something that you have to contend with, but I also think that we wouldn't be having the conversation if it was any other. Well, team. I just think it's because it doesn't happen anywhere else. Like, if the number one seed in the NBA just sat around for three weeks and just advanced right away to the second round, and then they, they came out flat and they lost, people would be like, well, of course they lost. They just sat around for three weeks. That's not how normal basketball is. That's essentially what's happening Well, they have here. the play-in now. They have, like, a week off. It was five days, not three weeks. But that's, it's five, you know, in, in baseball I'm just terms. saying, yeah. Hembo, five. See, he, Bubba, tell me if you think, if you're hearing what I'm hearing, Hembo primarily doesn't like this conversation because it involves the Phillies. And, and what I've learned is that Hembo, he is so skewed by the Phillies. And in order to prove that, I will go from the big picture topic mm-hmm. to the little one. The Phillies flipped their bats last night in a way that if literally anyone else had done it, the second home run from Castellanos, that thing did not do a 360. It didn't do a 720. It did whatever is one more of those, 980. That bat, it spun like a top. And Hembo would be out here crushing anyone who did that. And God forbid if Acuna did it against the Phillies, he would be calling for him to get thrown at in the next game. Suspended. uh, Absolutely. (laughs) And instead, I'm watching him as I'm narrating the highlight on Get Up out of the corner of my eye. I can see him waving that little red towel of his over in his little area down there that he has commandeered. So that, I think, is proof that your Philly fandom is skewing every single thing you're saying. I personally don't like the bat flipping, and I have made that clear. I will very likely always hate it. However, you and Bubba and many others have convinced me that it is good for the game, that the emotion brings in young fans, that, it, that is, especially in the playoffs, it's a net positive. I happen to not like the Jose Bautista bat flip, which is how this all originated. But in the case of the Phillies' three home runs yesterday, all of the demonstration, all of the celebration was directed at, their, at his own dugout, unlike the Jose Bautista bat flip. To me, that is the difference. You're not showing Hembo, up your opponent. You're celebrating with your Harper own team. That's so selective. Down, Orlando Arcia circling the bases. Is that directed at his own team? It is not directed at his own team, but it is not overt. It is not demonstrative. It, is, it was oh, subtle. Oh, come on. It is subtle. Come on, subtle. Hembo. Subtle. It was the stare heard around the world. It was the least <laughs> subtle thing I've ever seen in my entire life. By baseball standards, he might as well have taken out a white glove and slapped him across the face. Let me hear from you on this, Cameron. 
I, I don't mind the bat flips at all, if that's what you're talking about. Of course I, you I think don't. they're and awesome. Why. They're awesome. Yes, I totally That's agree. what baseball needs. If if you're watching a game, a lot of people watching, you know, we talked about how different postseason baseball is from regular season baseball. You're watching a regular season game in July. It can be kind of slow sometimes. If you're watching the Phillies hit home runs and toss it into the crowd and the crowd's going insane, who doesn't want to be a baseball fan after watching that? That's what the sport needs, and that's what Philadelphia and this postseason and the new you know, demonstrative ways people are allowed to celebrate has brought to the game. I want to say two more things about that series, and, and then we'll just – I got a ton of football in the, in the hopper here that I promise we'll get to in a couple of minutes. First off, I love those powder blues. Oh, if yeah. the Phillies are going to wear the powder blues – why did they ever stop wearing those <laughs> uniforms? Like, how often do they break them out? I feel like I haven't seen them much. They play, Cam. They play with them like, like every other home game or or something something around once a week at home during the regular yeah. season. It's 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 rare, but it's not never. Okay, yeah. I feel like I don't see them that much. It's the same with the Eagles' uh, old uh, Kelly Green. People yeah. love the Kelly Green, mm-hmm. and they got rid of that too. Those powder blue, they're nice. delicious. Graziano nice. and I are doing the highlights today, and we're just yelling out. Greg Lazinski, Steve Carlton, Mike Schmidt, Pete Rose, the 1980 Phils, who are, at least in my mind, one of the, the, the really legendary championship teams of all time because they hadn't won and how long? I mean, what? Ever. You all know the history. Oh, they had never won. They had never won. I, I mean, I'm, I was a kid, but I remember it. That's one of the first World Series that I remember really vividly. So they were, that was epic. So, A, the Powder Blues were awesome. B, I'll give you the credit. We showed Joel Embiid sitting in the stands. Bubba, Hembo said maybe the funniest thing to me that he has ever said. Go ahead. I said, can you imagine spending $1,000 on a ticket and then having to sit behind Joel Embiid to watch a baseball game? <laughs> I mean, Embiid. That's got to be the worst. He's experiencing what postseason is like when you win. Oh, Embiid just stands up, and I, I am. I'm thinking of the same thing. Sit excuse down. me. Uh, excuse me. Uh, Usher, there's a seven foot two man standing in front of me. I can't, not only can't I see the batter, I can't see the outfield. Why, why did he not bother trying to like get the, the, the hookup in, the, in, the, in a box yeah. or something? Why are you sitting in, in section 210? He He's a man of the people. people. Yeah. He's a man of the people. I, I loved it, but like, if, if I'm there at that game, I'm, like, at first it's like, oh yeah, Embiid is here. This is cool. This is great. And then after like the first pitch, it's like, no. I have to stay in the whole game. Please sit down. I mean, I think it's it's not even the person behind him. I think it's it's a wide radius. I'm guessing it's probably <laughs> yeah, it's, right. it's probably like three people it's on either the side, four people behind four him, four rows back. I mean, the guy's a monster. It's like on, on StubHub when it says like this is an obstructed view seat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's like sitting. Be, it's like sitting behind the foul pole. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's exactly is. Yes, he's as tall as the foul pole. <laughs> like I think actually, if you foul the ball off of Joel Embiid, it's a home run. It's a home run. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll say this too. It's one thing at a sporting event because you can stand and move around a little. Could you imagine going to a Broadway show and Joel Embiid <laughs> is sitting in front of you? I mean, you're sitting there like, okay, you should be entitled to get your money back. Yeah, 100%. Right? I mean, if you, you should just bring an usher out and be like, listen, I, I, need, I need my money if back. If the person sitting in front of you is uh, seven feet or taller, the fine print, it, it, should, it should allow you to get your money back for sure. All right, we have talked about one change. I have no idea if it will be made or not. Coming up next, we'll talk about another change in another sport that I really, really hope takes place. That's next. This is Greeny on ESPN Radio. 
Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Greeny, the podcast. Oh, yeah. Greeny with you on ESPN Radio. Today, I believe, is the 82nd birthday of the genius Paul Simon, who is... In my view, one of the top three singer-songwriters in the history of popular music. And this is obviously one song of that is the reason why, or one of the many reasons why. So, happy birthday, Paul Simon, uh, and many more. Okay, so we obviously were knee-deep in all the football, and we'll have much more of that as we go. We've spent a ton of time on the baseball today and all the rest of that. But my favorite quotes of the week came from basketball. I'm sorry, what? I'm sorry, what? I'm sorry, what? I'm sorry, what? All right, so you all know that I I was part of our coverage of the NBA for two years. I love the sport. It was my first love in sports. It probably, frankly, made me fall in love with sports more than anything else did, and I will always love the sport. And if you've been listening to me for years now, you are aware that I am very concerned about the approach that too many players take to an 82-game regular season. Essentially, that the 82 games are not necessary. That if we play, that that we go into it thinking, we'll play 70. And if there's an injury, that cuts down further. And I give, again, Adam Silver and everybody over there credit for doing what they can. They put incentives in there for playing 65 games and all sorts of other things. But here are the quotes this week from NBA Executive Vice President Joe Dumars, who, of course, is a Hall of Famer and one of the great players ever, tough guy on those uh, Bad Boys Pistons teams, and probably the toughest matchup Michael Jordan ever had in his career. Um, The headline of the story that I saw was NBA pushing 82-game mindset. And here are the quotes from Dumars. I think it was a given conclusion that the data showed you had to rest players a certain amount and that justified sitting out. We've gotten more data and it just doesn't show that resting, sitting guys out, 
correlates with lack of injuries or fatigue or anything like that. What it does show is guys may not be as efficient on the second night of a back-to-back. But in terms of injury and things like that, that we thought it did prior, as we got more data, we realized that's not really holding up. The culture should be that every player should want to play 82 games. Obviously, everybody's not going to play 82 games, but everybody should want to. That's the culture we are trying to reestablish right now. The competition committee has signed off on this. The Players Association has signed. They have agreed that this is an 82-game league and everyone should expect to play 82 games. We've discussed this with everybody over the last several months, and everybody agrees that we have to embrace who we are. I agree that it's not an easy proposition, but I can tell you for sure that it's never going to stop. You're never going to have any impact on it if you don't address it. That's Joe Dumars. I go back to the, the most important sentence. The culture should be that every player should want to play 82 games. And again, I will not say, as you said before, this is not new. That was the culture forever. For as long as it has been 82 games, as long as there's been a league. That was the culture until about 15 years ago when Greg Popovich, who was obviously an all-time great coach and rightfully in the Hall of Fame, did one of the great disservices to the sport that has ever been done. When he just decided, you know what? My guys are getting older. They don't need to play all these games. They don't even need to travel with us. And everyone started looking at that, and it is a copycat league and a copycat universe. And I have continued to say, these players aren't sitting out these games because the data shows they're going to play worse as this year goes on. They're sitting out the games because the less wear and tear they have on their bodies gives them a better chance at another contract. And every year of that contract for the better guys is another 20 or 30 or 40 or $50 million. I get it. We've incentivized it. But it's a problem. It's a problem. And I applaud from I stand, I give a standing ovation to Joe Dumars and everybody in the NBA office for making this a priority and doing what they've done here and saying what he said. How much difference will it make? Obviously, I don't know. But that was the culture. Jalen used to tell me all the time, my buddy Jalen Rose used to tell me all the time, we took pride in that. Like, we, 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 the idea of playing 82 games was like a sign of toughness. Like, that was looked up to. Clearly, we've gone completely away from that. If the culture changes back, changes back, to me, that would be a huge win for the fans. What do you think? So you did the culture well. Let me try and do the data well. Because when, when Joe Dumars says, it doesn't show that resting correlates with lack of injuries or fatigue or anything like that, I think that, that was the, the sentence that I highlighted. Because we have been told for the last decade and a half, it has been rammed down our throats that our sports scientists have given us reliable data that say load management works. And I would definitely say for certain players and certain injuries and certain issues that it does. But everything is personalized. To me, there's also half of the other side of the equation here that says playing a lot of basketball helps you play a lot more basketball from a conditioning standpoint and from the perspective of possible soft tissue injuries. What we have created is an entire industry, a whole cottage industry of sports scientists whose job whose livelihoods, whose credibility like relies upon this continuing to be a thing. What we need to make sure that we do with data is check both sides. We shouldn't reach a conclusion and then backtrack. We should start with an open mind and reach the conclusion based on what all of the data say, not just half of the data. All we've heard for the last decade and a half 
is half the data. So I think that's a very good and interesting point. And further, I would go, I would take it to say that whatever it is the data tells you is part of the equation. In the absence of certainty that it is causing more problems or causing more injuries, that I can't say. But what I do feel like, and maybe this is data you can get, tell Mm. me if you can't, is it has been my observation that there are far more injuries in the playoffs now than there used to be. Players did not used to get hurt in the playoffs to the level they do now. Almost every star player, and I shouldn't say it that way, so many star players over the last, let's just call it five years, have gotten hurt during the playoffs. How many times have we seen it? Giannis gets hurt, and this one gets hurt, and that one, they're always hurt. And that never used to be the case. When I was covering the league back in the 90s and the Bulls were playing all that, they, you know, you always played. The Stars played every game. You never even wondered whether they weren't. Charles Barkley wasn't going to get hurt in the playoffs. Michael Jordan wasn't going to get hurt. In the, it wasn't a thing. Can we look that up? Is there some way of figuring that out? It, we probably can't look it up on mass, but I can definitely pull a bunch of anecdotal examples from recent postseasons in which big stars missed games. And I think the important point that you made there is sometimes as human beings, we need to learn what our what our bandwidth is. And can, if we can push through uh, uh, a piece of adversity or, or jump over a hurdle, because in the postseason when I have to play, what if I'm not used to playing less than 100%? That's a huge part of it too. So I'm fine with these sports scientists dictating decisions, but only if they're dictating decisions on both sides. I think we've definitely run to the wrong, uh, wrong side of things and players and, all, and their agents, uh, for as powerful as they are, have definitely uh, become more and more attracted to these ideas because it helps their clients. Well, look, I mean, I'm just thinking back of the last few postseasons. The Nets would have won a championship if Harden hadn't gotten hurt and Kyrie hadn't gotten hurt. Uh, Harden's was a hamstring. Uh, the, the Bucks probably would have won another championship if Chris Middleton doesn't get hurt. Giannis winds up getting hurt. Chris Paul almost always, it seems, gets hurt. Uh, we, we could sit down and we could figure this out one way or another. Adam Silver, Joe Dumars, and company, I applaud you for trying, however it turns out. Back in a flash, ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to Greeny the Podcast. You can listen live each weekday morning at 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio or watch the show through the Watch tab on the ESPN app. Also catch Greeny on Get Up weekday mornings at 8 on ESPN and also available wherever you get your podcast. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.